This podcast is brought to you by StoreMaven. I won't lie, I am an employee at StoreMaven, so I want to tell you a little bit about why it's the greatest company on earth. If you're interested in growing your app in any way, organically, paid, both, we have tools to help you do it, whether it's optimizing your creatives, measuring the success and the effect of different efforts that you're taking, or just telling you what people look for in an app. We're here to help you do it. Just do the basic brand work of what are we about? What are we driving? Play Magnus, we're about essentially giving people the means to become the best chess players they can be, growing the sport, elevating it to another level. And I think, and then having your messaging and having some of your investments reflect that vision is really, really key. Welcome to Mobile Growth and Pancakes, a podcast by Stormaven. We break down how and why mobile apps grow. In each episode, we invite a mobile growth expert onto the show to break down a specific mobile growth strategy, how it worked, why it worked, and what they would do differently. I'm your host, Esther Schatz. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Mobile Growth and Pancakes. I'm your host, Jonathan Fishman. Uh, not many people know, but I'm not John Fishman, the drummer of Fish, uh, as uh, my guest today, Scott, uh, originally thought. <laughs> What's up, Scott? How are you doing, Jonathan? <laughs> Good. Uh, so I'm here today with uh, Scott Dudson. He's the CMO of Play Magnus. Um, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. Uh, my name's Scott. Uh, as you said, um, I think the, the Jonathan Fish, Fishman piece is really interesting because uh, I wasn't, wasn't planning on going there, but uh, I was actually at the very first um, vacuum cleaner jam. The first time Fishman picked up a vacuum cleaner and jammed with it was my roommate Lauren Cooney's uh, vacuum cleaner, and we were we actually wow. uh, were, uh, were 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 jamming together in our living room. But uh, anyway, uh, so yeah, I'm currently the the CMO of Play Magnus uh, Group, which is. Um, a group of, I think we have 11 companies in the group, 11 different brands that we manage um, and uh, uh, across the chess space um, primarily. And we can get into that a little more detail. Um, before that, I, uh, I've spent um, kind of a, a long career, mostly in startups, uh, mostly as a CEO, but also uh, in product. Um, and, uh, and then also a couple of years, well, three years in iGaming altogether. Um, one year as the CMO of, of uh, Hero Gaming, most recently. Um, uh, two years at GameSys, uh, running Virgin Poker. Um, and uh, and then five years in a language learning app called Lingvis, um, which is uh, just actually just raised another round, which is great for them. Um, and and I so I've been in Europe uh, for eight years, uh, or actually almost nine years, two years in London, five years in Estonia, one year in Malta, and now in Barcelona. And before that, most of my career for about 20 plus years was in Seattle, uh, where I did most of the startups. So I love, uh, I'm passionate about startups and growth, um, you know, love kind of roles in uh, earlier growth stage companies and uh, love to do a lot of mentoring. So I get a lot of other exposure to um, to the various growth challenges people are trying to solve across various industries. Awesome. What, what a fascinating career. Um, you, as a person with, with so much perspective and, and having the experience of building uh, uh, more than, than a handful of teams, um, I think a lot of people right now are interested in like how mobile marketing and mobile growth teams are structured. Can you talk a bit about like how your team, uh, especially as you have a portfolio of companies and different apps and games, how is it structured? 
Yeah, no, that's a that's a really excellent question. And, and to be honest, we're uh, we're still figuring it out at Play Magnus. Um, so you know, I think that, um, but I can speak maybe generally to the topic. Companies go through these phases. I think it's it's where a lot of times you start out kind of in a decentralized model um, where individual teams, whether it's a brand team or a, or a regional team or a product team, have a lot of autonomy. And that works out really, really well. And then at some point they go, ah, you know, we're duplicating efforts. This, this isn't really working. We need a centralized function. Uh, so, so they'll, they'll centralize it. Uh, and, and that solves the problems that they're trying to solve around kind of duplicating efforts and, you know, knowledge sharing and things like that. But then it develops kind of a new set of problems, which is usually that uh, the, the individual decentralized teams have KPIs to hit. Um, and now they're complaining that, you know, they don't have full full authority or, or autonomy in, in kind of being able to hit their, their KPIs. <laughs> so yeah. then the company usually goes back into another evolution and decides to like break up the centralized team and decentralize it. So I think that, um, you know, again, this I don't, I, I, I fear this is, sounds like a wishy-washy answer when you say it, but I, I really do believe that a hybrid structure is the best uh, and it and it varies kind of company by company. Um, maybe the last theme is the is the you know, a good example uh, that I was where I was at Hero um, because I, I led a mixture of people. So some people were responsible for regions and some people were responsible for functions. So, uh, you know, we had like a, a director of SEO, um, uh, essentially. So that was under under my team. We also had kind of a, uh, you know, head of Japan marketing, for example, that was a region. Um, we had, um, yeah, like a head of, of UA, essentially paid UA, uh, we had, um, uh, you know, a head of, of, um, God, I'm sorry, this is amazing. I'm like spacing out. Oh, well, so a head of content, right? So, so it, we had this mix of kind of, um, uh, you know, and then Sweden, we had a head of Sweden, you know, so, so it was kind of, we had certain markets that were critical to us and, and needed a lot of, um, kind of a leader there, uh, on the ground or, or so to speak, very close to it. And then other functions like content or SEO or, or UA that we felt like were best served kind of across the organization, um, and, and could be looked at more holistically and, and kind of, you know, resources allocated as needed rather than having, you know, cause other, what happens, I think a lot of times with regional markets is you get these situations where people have budget that they need to spend, so they spend it inefficiently. Other markets that are kind of in, it really have a lot of opportunity, struggle to get the same kind of budget, you know, maybe if they're on a growth path. And uh, so I think, I think you know, I, I generally favor centralization, um, I'd say overall, but, but I think you have to allow for, um, for that kind of decentralized autonomy. Otherwise, you, you kind of crush the, crush the joy out of and the, and the opportunity. Yeah, I think I think um, it's a, it's a great uh, debate, like between centralization and like uh, bring it up to uh, a lot of different uh, teams that basically engage in the same thing but for different products. So one of the things that maybe it relates to, you know, which is uh, it's kind of a pet peeve of mine. Um, you know, I work with a lot of designers, and uh, designers have this this cross to bear, which is that people that haven't worked with designers closely kind of think that what a designer does, you know, there's that meme of what what, what, people, what I do, what I think what people think I do, what yeah. my mom thinks I do, do something very different, right? They're like, oh yeah, you draw the pretty pictures or you, you know, or or maybe they even think about it in terms of UI if they're, if they, you know, and then they think they really understand. Oh yeah, they make the kind of, you know, but but a designer, you know, essentially is a problem solver and and they, you know, they, 
they bristle when they get pigeonholed into that box. And I think growth is one of these things that also has this a lot of the same characteristics, right? When most people think about growth, I think just in terms of user acquisition, right? Like they just go, okay, well, growth lives in marketing and it really means numbers. It doesn't even necessarily mean revenue. It just means, you know, and, and this is the, this is the kind of, unfortunately, the thing we have to fight, I think, uh, or um, at least I'm still fighting this because, you know, growth is just a characteristic, right? It's, it's, uh, and it could be applied to revenue. It could be applied to revenue per user. It could be applied to, you know, LTV. It could be applied to, to I mean, it, it, it could be applied to to minutes on site, right? I mean, average minutes on site per user. You know, it's it's kind of like what metric do you want to move? Growth is a practice that's, that's, that's I think, designed to move that metric. So that's my, my kind of personal personal crusade around this. And I'm, I'm trying to figure out why I felt that was relevant to what, what we were just talking about. Uh, it raises the next point, because today we want to talk about growth loops. But I agree. First of all, it's extremely hard to define. Like growth as a... I, I'm in the B2B space, but when I speak with, uh, I don't know, VP growth, different startups and, and tech companies, like everyone has a different definition. Um, today, we, we want to talk about applying uh, growth principles to... Um, growth of mobile app and game audiences. Um, and I know that you've been talking a lot about growth loops. Um, how would you define like what a growth loop is? Great. Yeah. So for building on this idea that, that growth is just, uh, you know, a, a characteristic, I think maybe let's start with the definition. I would define growth um, or let's put it this way. I think the key characteristic of growth is retention. If I had to choose one thing, right? Because without retention, we probably have, most people have seen that, that, that great graphic about how, you know, if essentially every cohort of yours eventually goes to zero, uh, if, if you don't retain at least some, some percentage of your, of your, your, of every single cohort in that kind of stays with you forever, that at some point you can't grow, right? The, the curve, you can only grow by acquiring a larger and larger cohort, every single cohort. And at some point that becomes impossible. And so you'd have to kind of, you know, kind of knee off and, and flatten out. So, so retention is the absolute core of growth. And then you kind of dig in, okay, so what's the core of retention? And I would say value is the core of retention. And, and maybe this is where loops come in because I think, you know, the easiest way to define value, I think, is with a value loop. So, so you know, somebody essentially, what is that? What is it for every product? And it's different. You know, in in a game, um, it, 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 you know, it. I think I think of it in terms of you know the games I play, like I don't know, uh, you know, uh, Hearthstone or something like that, right? Like I, I get, I get. There's a there's a bunch of value loops inherent in that, right? I mean, a single game provides a, a great experience for me. Um, certainly, kind of completing my daily quests, those types of things, gives me this kind of sense of satisfaction. So, you know, and and I think you could, but you build off of that. And I think for other apps, you know, or for other uh, other products, like for you know this language learning software that app that we had that I've managed for five years, it was it was very much about some some incremental amount of learning. And then basically, so so if you define your, I think defining your value loop is critical. It, it's really easy for certain products, like you know, you rideshare app. The moment you step out of the car, it's very clear that you've completed the the value loop, right? You've 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 basically you know didn't have to deal with cash, uh, you know, whatever you 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 didn't have to deal with, you know. Anyway, it's obvious. So so I guess the the if you start with a value loop and then build from there. Um, I, I think that's that's really 
at least the foundational core of, of, of what a growth loop is. Because as somebody then works through that value loop, the question is, is how can you, how can the output of that value loop, how can the experience of that person in that, within that value loop essentially produce something that can be reinvested into that value loop or into another value loop? Um, and that, that for me is really the, the heart of it. Awesome. Um, in your current, so in Play Magnus, um, what kind of games and apps uh, do you manage? So we have um, the most kind of uh, outwardly obvious ones are we have this Play Magnus app suite. So uh, we, this is how the company actually started. It started building apps um, around uh, Magnus Carlsen, the world chess champion. And uh, the, the first idea was literally to play Magnus. So you could, you could play him at various ages. And so there was a different AI oh, cool. that, re- that reflected kind of the nature of how he played as a five-year-old. I, and... I, I played the same thing with um, the Queen's Gambit. It was on, on one, I won't mention the competitor's name, but it was on one of your <laughs> competitor's uh, games. Um, <laughs> and you could play uh, her basically in, in, the, in the series uh, in different ages. I lost even when she was like three years old. It's a very smart, uh, smart play by 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 one of our competitors because because um, yeah, it's essentially taking the same model that was working for us, right? Uh, and but applying it to you know the the biggest kind of piece of entertainment chess in chess history, right? Uh, so um, yeah, so so that was kind of the the core of this, and then that evolved into something called the Magnus Trainer, which which then gives you you know kind of specific advice based on your play style, and then there's uh, and then from there you know. Um, there's we've, we've kind of explored some other areas there's some fun stuff there's something called night runner which literally is uh is just kind of a, a real-time kind of uh almost you know platformer game almost in a way that you kind of move like a knight and you have to kind of solve puzzles and and, and proceed and um and there's you know a bunch more really cool products look for kind of magnus trainer 2 which is probably going to be you know the the perhaps the coolest thing that, that the group has produced when it comes out next next year. So those are the apps. That's the app suite. Oh, yeah. Do you have also... Uh... We have a bunch of other apps actually from some other companies because we have... That's actually, interestingly enough, um, especially in terms of... Well, in terms of revenue, for example, that's, that's a, a relatively small piece of the group. Uh, it, in terms of footprint, it's actually still quite large. It's one. Of, it's our second largest uh, kind of footprint. The first largest footprint is something called Chess24. Uh, so Chess24 just released new brand new apps um, where, so Chess24 has been um, a site that has been focused on um, news and entertainment. Uh, we evolved it into a place where you can watch the best chess. Um, and, and then, and it's always been a place where you could play as well, but, but that was kind of our, our forgotten stepchild for a long time. And so we've invested heavily over the last year and just released uh, our kind of new play zone, which now again lives across, you know, Android and iOS apps, of course, as well as online. Uh, so, so this is something we're really excited about, and I think it's going to, going to, kind of evolve, you know, even quite a bit from launch. The, the roadmap is really ambitious, and I think we're going to do, um, you know, some really great things in this, and and essentially go up against our our, our two main competitors, which I will name, which are Chess.com and Chess. <laughs> so these these two have have probably the best play zones, uh, you know, currently. Um, and the interesting thing about a play zone, you know, and about these apps is it's not unlike poker in a sense that um, liquidity is a very, very, you know, which is the word that, that 
they use in the iGaming world for um, the number of players playing concurrently, basically, is a very, very important element to the user experience. Uh, if, if you have the more players you have and the more kind of your technology is able to handle that gracefully, the better the UX the player has because they can get matches very quickly. Um, in chess, you can get matches uh, in various game types. You can offer different, more types of game types because you, if you have more people and you get matches that are against people of the same level uh, that you are, which makes for a better game. Um, so this is, it's kind of a, you know, a, a a bit of a, one of these chicken and egg network problems where, um, you know, the more people you get in, the better the user experience, but, but then how do you kind of cold start from there? Um, so these are some of the challenges that we have, but, but luckily because we have kind of this pretty decent footprint for chess 24 and just some of our other products, um, then, you know, that's, we've been able to solve that pretty well. If I can just quickly hit two really key, key other pieces of the group. One is, um, this champions chess tour. So we last year basically started our own tour. Uh, it was in pandemic invited the best players in the world and, you know, kind of Magnus, of course, agreed to be there since he's a part of this, this company. Um, but we really pulled some of the greatest chess players around the world and some of the more interesting chess players in the world and had them play each other. And, and it was phenomenally successful. I mean, we had, you know, over a hundred million uniques. We had, uh, 30 million hours viewed and and it was one of these things where you know we we actually had the record we had a higher viewership than the world championships that had happened before uh -huh. um, so we kind of had the peak viewership we actually now just beat the, the peak to viewership by broadcasting the world championship with our commentators who, who also commentate on the tour. Um, so that's pretty exciting. Uh, but, um, you know, over half a million concurrent viewers of, of this uh, last world championship that we're in right now. But anyway, so we've become, um, and it's kind of, kind of a surprise hit. We've gotten, you know, sponsorships from some great, great partners. Meltwater is the, the title sponsor, but, uh, you know, FTX uh, on the crypto side, MasterCard, most recent sponsor that we got. So um, it, it's kind of taken chess to another level and allowed us to put a production, you know, a, a level of production to this that we haven't had before. And then, and then finally, um, which also has uh, apps uh, burgeoning, um, is, a, is a company called Chessable. And this is, I'd say, the most, um, we, in all the other spaces, I'd say we have competitors. Chessable, in a certain sense, is is in a fairly unique position. Uh, it's kind of like, imagine if, if Masterclass and... Uh, Duolingo um, from the perspective of kind of a space repetition algorithm or Lingvist, my former company, had a love child uh, on the chessboard, that would be chessable. So it's, it's basically some of the, the kind of most famous grandmasters and content creators in chess producing courses, which are then supported by a space repetition algorithm, which allows you to learn the lines, like allow the average player, the human human player, not the, the, the grandmaster, to learn the lines and, and actually improve their game dramatically in a very short period of time. And that has become the flagship from a revenue perspective because people just value this content. If we talk about value being, being core to growth, they value this content immensely. And, and it has a business model similar to Steam in the sense that you know people can you can there's the kind of an endless amount of games that you can buy on steam in in a similar way there are these it's endless amount of, of great chess courses to buy on chessable so thanks for the the opportunity to go through some of the group's products but. amazing no i think it's it's really interesting as as like the concept of of chess and how that uh, i mean you talked about liquidity you talked about the user experience and how all of those are baked into growth so what are like the the top core growth loops that are driving growth right now 
Um, I'll just mention, by the way, that I'm just downloading Chessable because uh, oh, cool. I'm sold. <laughs> I'm sold. <laughs> awesome. I think you'll love it. And you can. there's lots of free courses as well. I mean, Chessable is a really interesting... Um, so I think this is this is this is the the closest thing we have to a two sided marketplace, actually. So you know, mm-hmm. in the sense, sense that Uber has has drivers and riders, um, we have course creators and and course consumers. And in some cases, you know, not very often, but every now and then, the consumer becomes the the course creator uh, because there are a lot of especially young grandmasters who have now started to you know improve their game dramatically and testable and now starting to produce courses. Um, but but there's a growth loop inherent in this because. You know, we we made a, a very conscious decision, and when I say we, I had nothing to do with this. I've only been with the company for for four months, but but um, the very smart people at Chessable made a very conscious decision to pay the creators quite well. Uh, so really to allow them a much higher percentage than they would get from producing a, a chess book, let's say publishing a book. Um, and then of course the scale of the internet allows for, you know, we've, we've literally handed millions of dollars back to chess authors now, um, even though in a very, you know, fairly short, short life cycle of the company. And, and this now enables them to make a, a really decent living with kind of passive income off of chess in a way that has never really existed before. And in turn, they turn around and support us. So, you know, when a new author, the ideal world is a new author comes on board, um, and maybe they're already streaming, you know, and and being kind of a, a popular chess chess personality, but they they make their course and people start to use it. They start to get paid, and they realize, wow, this is fantastic, and they promote their course. So so this is a fantastic growth loop that essentially produces more. And then and then you know, and then they that each time they produce they they promote their course, that 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 learner comes in and discovers other courses. So other chess authors benefit. And in the same way, those authors turn around and and promote their courses and and bring other people into the platform. Amazing. I I think, I mean, mentioning streaming here, and and I think it was like a year and a half ago or two years ago when there was the game Among Us, um, who was immensely popular. I think it was like in the first quarantine when when COVID started. Um, And basically that game really took off based on Twitch and, and streaming because um, identifying somebody that if you acquire as a user and they would stream the game and chess is something, you know, um, I play chess, like streaming chess games is something extremely popular. They get, I don't know, insane viewerships. Um, so it's just like a really, really quick way to get your game exposed to millions and millions of people and Absolutely. a lot more users. So, uh, yeah. And this is, I think, I think it's a great segue into something um you know, we talked about a little bit uh, offline, which is this concept of, of product market channel fit. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people talk about product market fit and everybody has a pretty good understanding of what that means. Um, but product market channel fit, I think, is kind of the next level of how to look at this, especially the way I like to look at things from growth. And, you know, simply put, like, not every channel is a perfect fit for every, every, every good product or every go-to-market. Uh, you know, opportunity. Um, some some really good, just a, some obvious examples to, to to illustrate what I mean. Lingvist, language learning product. Um, you know, I'm actually a huge fan of Pinterest as a channel. I think it's a really great channel in the sense that when I'm on Pinterest, uh, you know, I almost am disappointed if the thing I click on is not purchasable. 
right? Which is completely different from all other social media in the sense that I'm interrupted in what I'm trying to do by some ad that's trying to grab my attention, you know, which leads to some great creative and, and some really interesting ads and that's fabulous. But, but, but Pinterest, you know, I, when I, when I actually find something, I'm like, oh yeah, that would, be, that would look really cool in my house or that's, I'd love to buy that for a gift for somebody. Um, I'm, I, you know, I, I want to, I want to buy. And, but unfortunately, um, it's very hard to translate a language learning app into Pinterest. Uh, it probably can be done, but it, but it needs a smarter person than me. So, so not a great channel for growth, let's just say for, for Lingvis. Um, so, but, but to talk about like Twitch, yeah, a fantastic channel for games, right? I mean, it, it's just so, it's so perfect in, in so many ways because, um, you know, it, it, I mean, it's almost like the only danger is that it, it's kind of um, almost so entertaining in and of itself that people never want to play your game, right? But obviously that's not true. Like it, it, gets, it gets very, very exciting. And, and, and then there's one thing I think, if you think about this, okay, so how do I apply that? How do I take that, this idea? Okay, get, I get it. Twitch is great for games, but but you always want to be in the lookout for kind of the you know emergent channels and channels that are a particularly good fit for your your product or service. And it really depends on I'd say two things. One is stage. So in a talk, I think it was like there's a, a a VC from from Social Capital like Chamath who basically said that something like you know. 30 to 50% or something like that of all VC money right now is going back into the pockets of Google and Facebook, right? Or Apple. I mean, it's just, it's amazing how much money goes back into that, those ecosystems. And those are, I think, you know, particularly Google and Facebook are, are very oversaturated. Right. I mean, you have a situation where because it's easy to measure, um, you know, because it's easy to, to spend, you can you can do a campaign for a hundred bucks. You know, it, it's very low barrier to entry. Um, it, 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 it attracts a whole bunch of people. It's also just very understood. But but the reality is, is unless you are, are having an app or a game that, that really knows how to kind of maximize either conversion or lifetime value or both, they're not great channels for you because you know, if you think about it, it's an auction and there's just so much money pouring into that channel. Um, just for a kind of a, a random example, my last company, we spent a lot of money on television, uh, you know, in Sweden, right? So we had a, a television budget in Sweden of close to, well, in dollars, over half a million a month. And it was extremely effective. It was really, really good. I mean, I would have never believed this after spending years and just pure performance marketing and going, oh, God, TV, you know, like it's, but the reality is, it's like no one's buying TV, right? Everybody's spending their money on Google and Facebook. So it's a bargain and, and it's a hard one to get into. You know, you can't really touch it unless you're going to spend 100K a month, probably really. It doesn't really make sense on smaller budgets. It, you know, it's very hard to measure. You have to be willing to kind of like, you know, hold on to your seat for a few months to see the impacts. Um, but the combination of television and SEM of essentially, you know, buying and the right keywords, de developing this kind of brand demand and buying keywords was extremely effective for us. So um, that's one thing about channels. And one, just one more thing, and I'm sorry, I'm kind of going on. Is this okay? Are we, uh... <laughs> yeah, no, you're good. You're good. I'm, I'm, right, it's fascinating. Yeah. So so the, the other thing that's that's interesting about channels is, you know, Channels build on the backs of other channels, right? So um, it, it, there's this kind of, you know, history that, that happens where, um, you know, one channel, one channel builds like, like, uh, I'm trying to think of like the best example, but, you know, Twitch doesn't exist 
if 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 predecessor channels did didn't exist before that, right? If basically like Twitch, Twitch basically built off the back of YouTube because it allowed people to kind of embed, um, you know, it allowed people to basically put put their kind of Twitch Twitch links into, or YouTube allowed them to embed that into their into their streams. So then people discovered Twitch. Um, YouTube, you know, in turn built off of you know the 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 previous kind of uh, channel before that. And, and, you know, and this is the case in, in many, many, like, if you kind of take, rewind the clock a little bit, it's like the internet in a sense was built off of direct mail, which you, you know, wouldn't think about that, but AOL, all these discs that people sent out, I mean, that literally built, built the internet, which built off direct mail, direct mail in turn, you know, built off of essentially print, you know, back in the day. I mean, it's kind of like, and, and the catalog business, right. It was where kind of direct mail was actually really built up. So, so I think, you know, looking at this stuff and seeing what, what's going to build on top of Twitch or what, what channel is Twitch going to enable or, or what channel is, you know, is TikTok going to enable? Because even something like TikTok is start to kind of, you know, being in that place where, where it's not, it's not the kind of huge ROI opportunity that it was a little while ago, you know, and, and, and it, so it's, I guess the last point I'll make about this, and I think this is maybe even where just to make a, a, a plug for you guys, um, you know, the fact that a channel becomes super streamlined and super easy to use and super measurable and super, you know, is not necessarily a good thing. It's a good thing for the established players, but it's not a good thing for the startups. And the fact that, you know, something like, and again, Apple search ads or whatever, or Apple and Apple, you know, the app store is not really perfectly optimized <laughs> means there's actually more opportunity there, for example, in some cases than, you know, than in like, I mean, just for an example, we, we're, you know, we're not, we don't do a lot of paid marketing uh, across the group. Um, but, you know, we chose when we're looking at producing, at, at promoting these new apps in our new play zone and looking at liquidity, we put a hundred percent of our paid paid budget into into apple search right um um just because i, I you know the roi there is, is probably better than 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 some other other channels right now anyway for sure and and one thought i had in terms of um the example you mentioned with uh tv and also the fact that you know it's it can't be easily measured is the fact that there is a lot of growth loops that organic growth loops uh, that relate to the app store, such as, okay, you, you spend half a million dollars a month on TV. What that does, and it's very similar to YouTube, by the way, but what it does is it drives people to search for a brand on the app store. So they open the app store, some of them search for your brand yep. name, download the app. Then because the app stores are also a, a a great place for the established players. One of the key factors of the algorithms is that they prefer uh, to rank higher apps that have a higher download velocity, which means yes. uh, the the rate in which they grow first-time downloads. The more first-time downloads that they see for an app, they assume it's really popular right now, so they rank it higher on the top charts and the top uh, category charts, as well as for different keywords in search. Then guess what? There's a ton, there's like, half a billion people visiting the app store a week. Uh, some of them search for these keywords, see, uh, browse the top charts. They see your app. They didn't, they wouldn't see it before. Exactly. And they download the app and then it drives itself and, and more and more. But you seeded it with TV ads. Um, so that's, uh, that's a great example for an app store loop. I can't 
can't agree more. And, and, and also, I mean, you just, that's a perfect example of another growth loop, right? I mean, I think about growth, I think about growth loops, you know, I mean, this is, this is right out of Reforge, but, but as kind of the compound interest that you get out of, out of what you're doing. So, you know, there's this kind of, so the growth loop is I buy a TV ad, you know, people see my brand, they search for it and they, they buy, right? Um, but the compound interest essentially that comes from this, you know, the, the other output, the additional output that you get, that you get to reinvest here is the algorithm now thinks that, you know, my brand is more interesting and, and, and that, that then lives in the app store that lives in, you know, the, essentially the dynamic of, of that loop spinning creates this extra value that then gets reinvested and, and amplifies exactly what you're talking about. So I, I just think that's a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a perfect example of how it works. And then the other thing that people don't realize about TV is that, you know, again, if, if retention is the core of growth, TV also works for retention very hard to measure but but now let's say i've already downloaded the app and i see another ad you know i'm i'm now i have this external trigger that goes oh yeah that's right i haven't played that game in a couple of days i, I want to go back into it and and check it out and and i think this is where you know people don't don't look at the extra value this kind of additional kind of retention value that this retention loop that the tb drives as well for sure. And, and I think in, in your space, uh, the Queen's Gambit was like a perfect example for that, because I know from speaking with uh, a few other folks in the, in the chess space, it drove a ton of new users. That wasn't even the, the greatest thing that happened. It just brought back a lot of people that are really avid chess players that just, you know, gave up on the game because they grew up a bit. They started working like it's, it's like a multi-year thing. And that TV, it wasn't an ad, but that's, TV series on Netflix uh, got them back into the game, and it, it worked a lot on like reengaging lapsed users. So um, absolutely, I agree. absolutely, and and that maybe brings to another another category, which I think is is easily overlooked, which is brand. Um, you know, and brand for me isn't just kind of your name or your logo, but it's kind of like what do you stand for and what does it represent? And I think that the Queen's Gambit did did more for chess for the brand of chess. Than it than almost anything because prior you know to Queen's Gambit if you if somebody says hey tell, describe chess or describe a chess player you, you had a very different picture in your head right yeah everybody's now imagining like somebody in Moscow in nineteen seventy six. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Right. Exactly. Or, you know, or, or myself as a super nerdy kid, you know, only child with, with, you know, uh, no, no female friends for most yeah. of the you know, <laughs> first decades of my life. Right. Like, you know, it's, it, but then all of a sudden now you say what's chess and, and, you know, it's kind of glamorous. It's kind of high fashion. It's, you know, it's, I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's Beth Harmon, the character it's, you know, it's, it's all this, it, I mean, it, it it suddenly changed it. And I think it, it created kind of a, a relevance or an acceptance or a, you know, where, whereby, I mean, the growth of chess streaming, you know, would not have happened in that way because who really cares? But now all of a sudden you're, you're doing something that the cool kids are doing too, right? I mean, it, it, again, it, it's, a, it's a very lowbrow way to put it, but I think it, uh, it clearly improved the brand of chess in, in a dramatic way. And we're seeing it now, right now, like I said, this, this, I was a little worried because now here we are, this is the first chess championship that we're covering post Queen's Gambit. And, you know, the 
I was a little worried because, uh, frankly, you know, there's no American playing, <laughs> which is, you know, again, I'm, I'm, I feel I'm very much a kind of a, a, a an adopted. I've adopted Europe as my home, um, but I know how America thinks, and there's kind of like there's 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 the U.S. and then there's kind of other. We're kind of you know <laughs> vaguely aware yeah. of Canada and Mexico, maybe you know, but like, <laughs> but like, and so it's like okay, whatever, some Norwegian dude and yeah, another Russian chess player, like whatever. But 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 we were seeing you know record viewership, um, which which clearly wouldn't have happened even even without an American, uh, which wouldn't have happened without the Queen's Gambit, right? For sure. Cool. So we're almost running out of time, but I just want to ask you one last thing as as a CMO and somebody with uh, with the experience of leading teams in different industries and different categories, knowing everything that's happening now. You know, there's the the all of the challenges and the opportunities, basically, of um, the IDFA being deprecated and Apple's privacy policies being enforced. Um, Facebook a bit weakening because of that, but search ads, as you said, is is really picking up as a source of acquisition. So, if you would just need to give like one tip for fellow CMOS or marketing leaders for uh, 2022. What do they sh- they should be thinking about, uh, or what should be top of mind for them? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I mean, I, you know, I'm trying to just figure out which of which of the greatest hits to cycle here through. But I, I would say I'm going to choose choose brand, right? I think that um, you know, especially I, I, I most of my career was spent in startups, spent in the app space, um, or spent in industry that didn't really have the we've never felt like we had the luxury if you will to kind of invest in brand you know five years at lingvist we we put zero value on any brand we basically looked at every single thing as a performance channel and exclusively so and you know and and this is i realize this is not driven inherently by marketers i think marketers do kind of understand and appreciate brand more than others but a lot of times it's driven by the C-suite or by the business side of the house, right? That's kind of putting, you know, a certain kind of demand on marketing. But I think you need to, um, you need to carve out some space for this, right? You need to kind of carve out the space and time to really, if you haven't already, just do the basic brand work of what are we about? You know, what are we driving? You know, at Play Magnus, we're about essentially making, you know, giving people the means to become the best chess players they can be, growing the sport, you know, elevating it to another level. And and, and I think, and then, and then having your messaging and having, you know, some of your investments reflect that vision is, is really, really key. There's a great, um, video. It's literally five minutes. There's a guy named Les Binet, uh, B-I-N-E-T. Um, and there's a video called The Short of It. Uh, and he talks about the difference basically between brand marketing and, and performance marketing. Um, and this is backed by, you know, a few decades of research. And I think it's, it's, a, it's great because it's, it's under five minutes. Um, and and it's something you can send to the rest of your C-suite <laughs> and have them watch and have them appreciate, uh, you know, and 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 be ready to kind of come with a, a brand plan because it'll just make the rest of your life easier, right? Almost every performance marketing channel in the long run has diminishing returns, so you have to kind of figure out how to 
essentially build the highway out in front of you, you know, not just for the next quarter, but for the next, you know, two, three, four quarters and even in, in beyond that. And I think, I think brand is the first piece. And then the second piece, if you want to make us open up one more kind of battle or request is, is creative. I thought, I, I thought I, I watched, I listened to Adam uh, Jaffe on your, 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 uh, podcast and i thought his point about creative was was spot on i mean i think that creative becomes a competitive advantage we we saw uh you know i, I were able to drive a 400 percent increase in roas over two years at lingvist and half of that um I, more than half of that i attribute to improve creative and and i think even more the point he makes is there's an additional kind of growth loop here when when the creative is is really good and when you know that kind of your conversion rates you know based on on kind of all of the steps in your funnel are really tight and and the creative is really good because then you get this bonus like you're talking about um you know whether and whether that's on apple or whether that's in the google algorithm around your youtube youtube stuff it, it all kind of you know tends to kind of lead to those growth loops. So, so that would be it. Brand, brand and creative, uh, you know, it's very kind of back to old school, but, 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 um, but it, you know, it, it, it worked for a hundred years because it worked. Right? Oh, wow. That's, I, I like that uh, sentence. Yeah. Like a lot of people are now saying like, uh, Adam Jaffe also uh, talked about like old school marketing and I say it a lot, but it's, it's not really old school. It's just like real marketing. Yeah. Like I think that what <laughs> happened in the past few years is, like an addiction as an industry, we got addicted to performance marketing and being able to measure, um, you know, based on user level data that nobody gave us consent to use, but um, we were able to measure in a deterministic way, the direct response value of each and every ad. And it was so easy and so easy to communicate to leadership also like, see, we mm -hmm. put this dollar here, we get $2 back. Yep. Yep. That's it. We're, we're yep. like, just give us more money, raise more money, raise money, and let's put it in ads. And that was how most mobile games, mostly games, grew in, in the past few years. But uh, uh, as you said, like brand marketing and, and real marketing uh, drive demand long term is something that uh, a lot of people have neglect neglected in the past few years. And uh, I really like your points about uh, creatives and uh, brand marketing. So uh, we are... Uh, coming close to an end. Um, we have a few more questions that we ask all of our guests uh, that I want to ask you. So um, we just covered tips, but I want to, we have this kind of a content recommendation uh, piece. So what would you recommend people to read, who to follow around mobile growth at least? Cool. Yeah. Well, so um, I guess I, I kind of already already gave one of these, but but start with Les Benet. I think or, you know that's a great great quick win. Um, I'm a you know I'm a huge fan of of Reforge. Uh, you know those of you who've done done the work from Reforge are going to hear a lot of Reforge concepts and what I say. I, it's, it's even hard for me to know exactly uh, what's what at this point because it gets gets pretty uh, pretty pretty convoluted. And I and I you know I'm a big fan of. Of uh, again, you know the guys that are involved with that, um, Andrew Chen, of course, and Brian Balfour, and and such. Oh, uh, Andrew Chen has a new book coming out. He sure does. Yeah. I bought it. Yeah. I ordered it. I pre-ordered it. Yeah. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, yeah. No, and it's yeah, it's great on on network. I'm essentially, you know, these solving these network problems, um, like the one I talked about with Jessable. So yeah, I think that's probably we'll leave it there. Um, less is awesome. more. Yeah, and. Um, 
almost last question, given this is mobile growth and pancakes. What's your favorite flavor of pancake? I'm a, I'm, I'm a big fan of, of fresh uh, blueberry pancakes. So I, 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 when uh, my kids just went off to school recently, but we used to do a kind of a weekend, you know, blueberry pancake kind of day, which is great. And the key, though, is uh, having, you know, lived on the border of Canada and in Vermont for, for much of my, much of my life. Um, real maple syrup is really the, the key. So I'll take just about any pancake as long as you give me some real maple syrup. <laughs> awesome. Good choice. Um, and lastly, where can people find you if they want to chat about growth, chess, uh, life, Europe? Yeah, well, my OnlyFans, I'll probably, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, my, my LinkedIn uh, is uh, SC Dodson. So yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn and uh, LinkedIn slash SC Dodson. Awesome. Cool. So thank you so much. This has been uh, you, really Jonathan. fascinating. I really enjoyed talking with you. Yeah, likewise. And I'll speak to you soon. Fabulous. Thanks. Bye-bye. And that was Mobile Growth and Pancakes. To find out more about StoreMaven and how we can improve App Store performance, visit StoreMaven.com. And then make sure to search for Mobile Growth and Pancakes and Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found, and click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at StoreMaven, thanks for listening.